Well, good morning, Be Free. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for this time of worship. We're going to be in the book of First Peter now. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and we're going to be going all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. Uh, this Sunday is the, is the first Sunday of the month, and so because of that, uh, we're going to do what we always do, and that's celebrate communion together. Now, communion is something that we do to remember the communion we share with God. It's a vertical thing. To remember that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with him. But communion is also a horizontal thing. It not only reminds us of the communion we share with God by the blood of Jesus Christ, but the communion we share with one another by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so for that reason, communion is not something that we were meant to do on our own. So during this season of social distancing, when we do communion, we're not going to do it on a video call like this, or on a video, rather, like this on Facebook, but rather what we're going to do is on the video call, on a Zoom call after the service, so that we can see one another actively doing communion together. So as you prepare for communion after the service today, after this video ends, um, get together a little bit of juice and a little bit of bread, uh, get your family ready to celebrate communion. Um, but then also, if you don't have the links, please do comment in the comment section below and just say the words, send me the links, and we will DM those links to you uh, when we see that in your Facebook. <clears throat> so now we're in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. And already in our time in 1 Peter, we have seen that if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been changed. By faith, your eternity has changed. By faith, the life you live in this earth has changed. But then there's also a deeper change that happens in you that we see in this passage today. Something else about you changes when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see what that is in this passage today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. But as we get ready... To dive into the word, I want to just take a minute for us to uh, silently prepare our hearts and our minds to be in his word. So I'm going to give us a couple moments of silence. And during that time, I want to ask you, pray silently on your own. Ask the Lord to remove all distractions from your mind and, and from your heart right now. And ask him to humble you so that you can receive his words today. So take a minute to pray, and then I will close us and read the passage for us. Now, Heavenly Father, speak to us through your words. May your Holy Spirit work in us to bring these words to life. May your Holy Spirit convict us of things we need to be convicted of. May your Holy Spirit open our eyes to truths we need our eyes open to. And Father, I pray that by his power, we would be different people by the time we get to the end of this passage. God, we give that to you. That's what we long for. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let me read that for you. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and it's in all its glory like the flower of grass. The flower, sorry, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me just reread a couple sentences here. Peter here, he's talking about how they have been pure, how they have purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. Chapter or verse 22. He also says here how they have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And then a little bit further down in verse 25, he clarifies what he means by that. When he says that this word is the good news that was preached to you. So just stepping back really quickly, do you see what Peter is getting at? If you've been tracking with us through the book of 1 Peter up to this point, I think it'd be pretty hard to miss what, what Peter is saying. In a nutshell, this is it. He's saying Jesus, his person and his work, is the truth that we obey who alone can purify our souls. He's saying that the resurrected Jesus is the living and abiding word of God. Remember, he's called that in John chapter 1. Through whom we can be born again. And this resurrected, never to die again Jesus is the imperishable seed. He is the word of the Lord that remains forever. And it's his death and resurrection that is the good news that was preached to us so that we, by faith, can be like him, resurrected, never to die again. You see, before Peter gets to anything in this passage to have to do with what we should do or how we should act or how we should behave, he takes the time to wrap, wrap, wrap his readers around the truth of who Jesus is. And the truth of who they are by faith in him. He lays that foundation of the gospel before he gives any command, any exhortation, any encouragement. And I think the key word that we need to focus in on here, right at the beginning, or rather maybe the two words, is born again. Born again. By faith in Jesus Christ, you have been purified and Born again. What does that mean? The expression of being born again, it's a good expression, it's a powerful expression, but it is an expression that it's lost its power because of our familiarity with it, right? We've gotten so used to using the term born again, even maybe describing ourselves as born again Christians, that somehow we've gotten too familiarized with it. We've gotten too used to it and allowed it to lose its power. So let's take a minute to refamiliarize ourselves with the power of what it means to be born again 
When we talk about being born again, we are talking about the fact that we have died to who we once were, right? It is the end of everything we were before Jesus Christ, the end of our life in sin, and that we have been born again, been given new life, and that which has offered us an entirely new existence. Everything we were is gone, and everything we are now is new, co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom. It's a total and complete transformation. The expression born again, it tells us that by faith we are altogether new, altogether free, altogether adopted, altogether beloved, that we are no longer who we were, but we are brand new in Christ. And the passage that I feel really brings this to life more than any other passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Very simply, what Paul writes here is this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And I want to say this very clearly. Being born again, this isn't a better version of your old self. This isn't you 2.0. This isn't the Princess Diaries. This is you completely made new, altogether. This is you, but with a total renovation of your soul, with nothing about you left untouched, with no stone left unturned. The new you is completely new, and it is eternal. It is imperishable. It will never pass away. How beautiful. This is what it means to be born again. And so very practically speaking, like I said just a little bit ago, this doesn't only change your eternity, nor does it only change how you're going to live in this life. It goes deeper than that. When you are born again, you are given, by faith in Jesus Christ, new hearts. When you are born again, you are born with new desires, new wants, with new affections, new loves. You see, when you're born again, the change that happens in you is so deep that it changes even what you long for, even what you want, even what you love. And it's this that Peter is actually focusing on in this passage. That as followers of Jesus Christ, he changes your desires. So now that we understand that, let's turn around now and go back to the first verse here. Peter chapter 1, verse 22. I'll read it again. Peter writes, <clears throat> Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly. Other versions say deeply, fervently, constantly. From a pure heart, since you have been born again. You see, Peter is assuming even here in this verse that the change that happens in us when we're born again reaches even to the heart. That by Jesus' love displayed on the cross for us, we are made pure. So now, in our purity, we love. By his love, we are purified. So now, in our purity, we love. And the love that he's, that he's speaking about here, he's not talking about the love that we share with a spouse or with our children. He's not speaking about the love with which the Bible calls us to love all people. He's actually speaking very specifically. 
When it says here to love, he specifically makes a point to say, love one another. And we have to remember that this letter was written to the church. It was written to a gathering of believers in Turkey, or multiple gatherings of believers in Turkey. So when Peter says the words, love one another, he is specifically focusing on Christian love. The love that Christians share for one another. That's the focus here. That's what he's looking at. That's what he's talking about. And so now, when, when anyone is born, physically, we're born into a family, right? That no matter how good or bad our parents were, when we were born, there was a father who brought us about and a mother who birthed us. That's true of everyone. And many of us, when we're born, we're born with, uh, with brothers and sisters. We are naturally born into that family, regardless of how healthy or unhealthy that family is. And this is the exact same thing that happens with the new birth as well. When we are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, we are born into a family of brothers and sisters with a loving father above us. So it's only logical that in a healthy family, we would live as a part of that family. Loving the brothers and the sisters and the Father. And now I want to say this to you now, not just as your pastor, but as your brother in Christ. Not just as your pastor, but as somebody who wants uh, to help you understand the implications of this passage. If you say that you are a Christian, and you're not in a regular loving community with brothers and sisters in the family of God. There's something wrong there. You're missing something. If you say you're a Christian, but you have a just me and God understanding of Christianity, or if you've ever explained away your sporadic involvement in the church family by saying something like, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, there's something wrong in your understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a minute. I'm a rule, right? My last name is Rule. I was born into the Rule family. But what if I had a relationship with my father, but never spoke to my mother, <clears throat> never spoke to my sister, Ignored the existence of my cousins and my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. Would I still be a part of that family? Well, y yeah, I, I guess so. But what it would reveal is that I have a radically unhealthy understanding of what a family is. My last name would still be Rule, but I would not be living as a healthy member of the Rule family. And in the meantime, I'd be breaking my father's heart. I would be that wayward son... He ran away from home and never looked back. I think there's something terribly wrong with saying that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian because it reveals that you have a radically unhealthy understanding of what a family is. And what's more, it reveals that you have a radically unbiblical understanding of what a church is. What Peter's saying in this passage is that if you are born again, if you have been given the new heart that comes with the new birth, it will grow in you an earnest, fervent, deep, and constant love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Now, I do want to say this, though. Many people have been hurt by the church. And if, if that's your situation, I am so, so sorry. The church should be the safest place in the world. It should be the place where people love one another the best. And I am so sorry that you got hurt. But I do want to say this. Even if the church hurt you, I want to encourage you that as someone who has been forgiven, you, by Jesus Christ, seek to offer that forgiveness to others. Seek to love and forgive them sacrificially as you have been loved and forgiven sacrificially. And I know that sometimes we've been hurt by the church in even abusive ways. And if that's the case, then maybe there's some more wisdom to be brought into this conversation. Maybe if you've suffered abuse at the hands of Christians, you need to seek the wisdom of other believers who you trust. Seek their wisdom to determine what would be the wisest way to reconnect with the family of Christ. It might mean that you have to find a different church family. But at the end of the day, my prayer for you, for all of this, is that we would find a church family where we would honestly and fervently and deeply and constantly love one another from a pure heart. That's the desire of God for us. That's what the Father wants for His children. That we would be loving brothers and sisters. So when, when we are born again, our heart changes. And what happens in us then is it produces a genuine love for the family of God. That's the first thing that happens when we have this new heart. And the second thing we find at the beginning of chapter 2. So let me read this. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Peter writes, so, in other words, because you have been eternally born again, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, born again, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, there's a lot of words here, but the point of this passage is actually incredibly simple. The point is this. Get rid of every sin that entangled you before you came to Jesus. The malice that's in you, get rid of all of it. The deceit, get rid of all of it. The hypocrisy, the envy, the slander, all of it. Tie it all to a hundred helium balloons and watch it fly away. Why? Because you're new now. You are no longer who you were. You have been born again now, verse 23. So, verse 2, be like newborn infants. You have been purified now, verse 22. So, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. By faith, you have been born again. You have been given a new heart. You have been given new desires. So, that let the love and the longing for the brothers and sisters grow in you. And here, let the love and longing for everything good, everything pure, and everything holy grow, 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 grow in you. And what you will find is what is pure and what is holy, and what is righteous, it's going to start tasting more and more sweet and good in your mouth. 
and simultaneously everything that is evil, that is wicked, that is sinful, will begin to taste more and more and more foul, bitter in your mouth. This process of learning to love holiness and to hate sin is called sanctification. It's the process by which God continually transforms us and conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And this is something that happens throughout the days of our lives. From from the moment we believe in Him until the moment of our death, He is growing us and growing us and changing our desires and our actions until we look more and more like Him. And the process is slow. But I want you to think back over your life. Has God been doing this in your life? When I was thinking about this a little bit earlier, I was, I was thinking about the music I listened to in high school. I was a believer then. I was, I was walking with Christ then. But I went back recently to listen to some of the songs that I listened to in high school. And some of the words and the, and the themes that showed up in those songs now just tasted so bitter to me. So foul. They weren't pleasant to me anymore like they were in high school. The reason being is that over the years, God has slowly transformed my heart and my desires. And I'm sure that you can say the same thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you could listen to the music or look, watch the movies that you watched early on in your walk with the Lord and find that the sin in those movies, in that music, is just more bitter to you. It doesn't satisfy the way that it once did. That's because God has been changing your heart. He's been giving you new desires, new wants, new loves, new affections. And so the question I think we need to ask is this. What causes our hearts to long for spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk? Said another way, what motivates us to want what is holy and to hate what is not? Well, I think we find the answer to that question in verse 3. Let me read verses 2 and 3 again to you. Peter writes, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. According to this verse, what motivates us to want and to desire holiness is not so much the stick of God's wrath as the carrot of his goodness. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because if you have, the sweetness of Jesus Christ will stir in you a desire to taste him again. And again, and again, and again, it will keep you coming back for more. You will find that he is so delightful that you can't help but want more of him. It's like Chipotle. Once you've eaten Chipotle, you ain't going to Wendy's. Why would you have freeze-dried fat when you could have heaven wrapped in tin foil? Chipotle is so much more satisfying. And it doesn't give you the, the stomach pain that's waiting for you on the other end. I would always choose Chipotle over Wendy's because I have tasted that Chipotle is good, right? But here's the kicker. When I walk past Wendy's, 
and I smell the smell of deep fried everything, all of a sudden that freeze dried fat starts making my mouth water. All of a sudden I forget the stomach pain that's waiting me for me on the other side and before I knew it, I'm slapping down $10 on the counter for a number one. It's illogical. In my mind, I know that what I'm buying at Wendy's will not satisfy me in the same way as what I buy at Chipotle. But before I know it, I do it, and then I regret it. And it's the exact same thing with Jesus. Once you have tasted the sweetness of intimacy with Jesus Christ, you're not going to want to return to sin. Because he is so much better, so much more satisfying. He gives such a better delight that is free from guilt and shame on the other side. You have tasted and seen that he is good. But again, here's the kicker. Sometimes sin still smells sweet. Sometimes you see a temptation that still causes you to turn your head. Sometimes you start longing for the very thing that you know will kill you. And in that moment, sometimes you actually believe that that thing is better than Jesus. The sin that you know is so unsatisfying becomes the desire of your heart. And before you know it, you click that link that will take you somewhere you know you should never go. Before you know it, you open your mouth and speak the words that you know you should never speak. Before you know it, you do the things that you know you should never do. You focus your attention on the thoughts you know you should never think. All of a sudden, the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander sneaks back into our hearts. And we do this because we have stopped believing that Jesus is better. We do this because we actually start to believe that that sin will satisfy us more than Jesus can. All sin starts with doubt. Doubt that Jesus can satisfy us as fully as that thing. So I think the question, be free, that we have to ask if we are believers in Jesus Christ is simply this. How do we get ourselves to remember and truly believe that Jesus is better? In the moment of temptation, how do we get ourselves to truly believe and truly remember that Jesus is sweeter, that he is more satisfying, that he is more delightful than the sin that is tempting us? Yes, we fight the good fight, turning away from temptation, but the answer is found in the fact that we don't just turn from temptation, we also turn to something else. In the face of temptation, we turn from sin, and we turn to taste the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that's the answer. How do we get ourselves to remember and really believe that Jesus is better than the things that are tempting us? We taste the goodness of Jesus. We taste the goodness of God every morning in prayer and every day when we open his scriptures. We taste of his goodness every Sunday morning when we gather together in prayer, in song, and meditating upon his word. We taste the goodness of God every week in our home groups when we gather together to be the loving brothers and sisters in Christ that he called us to be. 
We taste the goodness of God in our sufferings when we turn to Him and find the relief that He promises. We taste the goodness of God when, we use, uh, when He uses us for His service and we get to delight in seeing the fruit that He bears in and through us. In other words, be free. We fight sin in our lives by tasting of the goodness of God so constantly that we cannot forget how sweet He is. And then when we do sin, be free. We taste His goodness again by turning to Him in repentance and receiving the forgiveness and the love that He promises. Be free, fight sin by tasting constantly of the goodness of God. Do not let yourself forget how good and pleasing and sweet He is. We have been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. This changes our eternity. This changes our actions in this life. And this changes our desires. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I want to pray and ask that you would be sweet to us. That we would delight in you. That we would hunger for your word. That we would hunger for the intimacy that we can find in you through prayer. That we would hunger for the intimacy that we can find with one another in the church. That we would hunger for the joy that we find when you use us in your service. Father, we want so badly to taste, <laughs> to taste that you are good. Give us that taste. Give us that joy. Give us that delight. And then when temptation comes, don't let us forget it. Don't let us forget that the joy that we find in you is so much better than the joy that we think we can find in our sin. And in that moment, Lord, I pray that the, the, the memory of your sweetness would help us turn away from sin and turn back to you in obedience. Father, we love you and we want to taste your goodness. We pray that you would work that in us now, Lord, that you would bring sin to mind and give us the power to turn from it to you. And we pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.